great to see you here this morning. I invite you to open your Bibles or access your device to Mark 5.21. Today we're going to talk about the life-changing touch of faith. Of course, as you've been watching the news this week, this is a historic week in the history of our nation in that the Supreme Court overturned Roe v. Wade, and we've been praying for that to be happened for five decades. But they did not outlaw, as you know, abortion, because some states still will allow it. Uh, but our approach should always be to try to minister to those. And, and Tyler, about 15 years ago, we launched a ministry called CARE, C-A-R-E, which is Christ-centered abortion recovery in East Texas and education. It was actually started by a female physician in our church who had had an abortion when she was in college. And it, it has helped hundreds and hundreds of uh, people who've gone through the heartache of abortion. It's been said that 60% of the people in the, 60% of the women in churches have had an abortion or know someone that, that has. So there are always three victims when there's an abortion. There's the child, of course. There's the mother, of course. And then there's the father. So if you know someone or you need some help, I encourage you to contact CARE in Tyler it's an active ministry over there now. So we've been studying the miracles of Jesus, and we found out when he calmed the sea that he has power over danger. Uh, last, week, last time we talked about how he uh, delivered the man who was controlled by a legion of demons. He has power over demons. Today we're going to see he has power over disease. And the next message from Mark, which will be in two weeks, because for a week from today... I'm bringing a patriotic message called, Lord, Heal Our Land. We're going to find that Jesus has power over even death. So, you know, life is full of setbacks. Did you hear the story about the milk cow who tried to jump over the barbed wire fence? It was an utter disaster. <laughs> or did you hear about the guy that fell into the furniture upholster machine? It's okay, he's fully recovered. How about the butcher that backed into his meat grinder? He got a little behind in his work. <laughs> I apologize. That's just the way I am. Back in Tyler, they said they, they called them groaners. Hey, but seriously, did you hear the, have you heard the story about the woman who for 12 years, she had an issue of blood that wouldn't stop. And she spent all the money she had on doctors and none of them could cure her. But she heard that Jesus was coming to her town, so she went out there to see him and to reach out in a touch of faith. Uh, this is actually a double miracle. Uh, on the way to perform a miracle, Jesus does another miracle. I want us to read about it here in Mark 5, 21, if you're willing and able to stand. Let's, let's stand as we read Mark 5, 21 through 34, honoring God through the reading of his word. When Jesus had crossed over again by boat to the other side, a large crowd gathered around him while he was by the sea. One of the synagogue leaders named Jairus came, and when he saw Jesus, he fell at his feet. A lot of people are falling at the feet of Jesus. And, they, and begged him earnestly, My little daughter is dying. Come and lay your hands on her so that she can get well and live. So Jesus went with him, and a large crowd was following and pressing against him. Now a woman, suffering from bleeding for 12 years, had endured much under many doctors. She had spent everything she had 
and was not helped at all. She came up behind him in the crowd and touched his clothing. For she said, I just, if I just touch his clothes, I'll be made well. That's a touch of faith right there. Instantly, her flow of blood ceased, and she sensed in her body that she was healed of her affliction. Immediately, Jesus realized that power had gone out from him. He turned around in the crowd and said, who touched my clothes? His disciples said to him, you, you, you see the crowd pressing against you, and yet you say, who touched me? Everybody's touching you. But he was looking around to see who had done this. The woman, with fear and trembling, knowing what had happened to her, came and fell down before him and told him the whole truth. Daughter, he said to her, your faith has saved you. Go in peace and be healed from your affliction. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we know that you're here today in your spirit. You say where two or three are gathered, you're right here. And I pray that there'll be people here today and even people watching on live stream who will reach out desperately in faith and they'll receive your power today for the needs they have in their lives. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks. Be seated. As you can imagine, there's, there's a lot of paintings that depict this scene, but my favorite actually is a, a rather a new painting by Daniel Cariola. It, it is in the chapel at Magdal in Israel on the shore of the Sea of Galilee where they, we believe this miracle happened. And the reason I, I like this picture, there are no faces, just a, a lot of crowded feet and then that one hand reaching out. And it's at the point of which she is receiving the power of Jesus through the touch of faith. So we're going to learn four truths from this miracle. First of all, learn that suffering is a part of life, but Jesus gives us hope. I mean, you're not going to escape this life without suffering. Uh, you know, I've often said that pain uh, is, is a given, but misery is optional because you can face adversity and pain and you can choose joy and hope and peace in the midst of your pain. You know, we, we live in tough times. I remember when I was growing up, my generation, some of you my age and even older, you know, we only got the news and snippets, right? You, maybe you had a newspaper and maybe you watched the evening news. And so when you heard about bad things, it was just a couple of minutes a day or 30 minutes a day. Now we, we're in the 24-7 news cycle. So every time something bad happens, you hear about it immediately and so we're just surrounded by bad news I heard a funny story about a dad who came home one afternoon he had three preschoolers and when he met his wife he could tell something bad had happened but he said sweetheart listen I've had a terrible day it looks like you want to give me some bad news but hey whatever you do don't give me any bad news please don't give me any bad news she said okay here's the good news you have three children, and today two of them did not fall out of a tree and break their leg. <laughs> we need a lot of good news around us today because the world is just pumping a bunch of bad news into us. Now, this poor woman, think about it. She, she was suffering physically 12 years of an issue of blood, and so she had to be weak and anemic all the time. She also was suffering financially. Because the Bible says she had spent all her money on doctors. And, and back then, doctors didn't have to be licensed or trained or anything. Anybody could. It was more like magic than medicine. In fact, the Talmud had written one proposed cure for the issue of blood. 
Here's what you did. You took a, a duck egg and you broke it and you burned the shell of the, of the duck egg and you ground it up into a powder and you wore it around a pouch on your neck and that was supposed to stop the flow of blood. Maybe that's why they called them cracks back, quacks back then. I don't know. Quacks. So she, she didn't have any money. She was suffering physically, suffering financially. She was suffering emotionally and religiously. Did you know because this issue of blood, according to Leviticus 25, made her constantly ceremonially unclean? I mean, uh, she, people couldn't sit where she sat. People couldn't touch her. She, she was unclean, so she was suffering. But she heard that Jesus was coming to town. And so she said, here is my hope. Have you ever felt that way, that just one problem after another, one problem after another, one problem after another? Uh, when I was a teenager, there used to be a song. Some of you might remember this. It was by the Coasters, and it was, the name of the song was Charlie Brown. At the end of every verse, this guy with a deep voice would say, Why is everybody always picking on me? Anybody remember that? Why is everybody always picking on me? That's, that's, that's what we think sometimes, that just life is out to get us. There is suffering, but there's hope in Jesus. Paul understood suffering. In fact, he said in Romans 8, 8, 18, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is going to be revealed to us. He said, yes, this is a world of suffering, but when you compare it to the glory of heaven, it's not even worth comparing because the glory of heaven is going to be so much greater. So some of you guys and gals probably play golf. I've, I've played golf for many years. Have you ever noticed that golf balls have dimples on them? Yeah, there's a reason for that. 500 years ago, when they first started playing golf in Scotland, they just used smooth golf balls. They were called featheries. But they made an interesting discovery that the more they played with those balls and the more they got scuffed up and had dents and little scratches on them, they found that they would go straighter and farther. And there was just something about a scratched up, dented, smooth ball that made it go farther and straighter. And there's a parable about that. That's why golf balls have, have dimples today. Uh, when we go through times of life that create scars and problems for us, it allows us to go farther, to go straighter, because you see, every scar in your life is a story. And every scar in your life is a story of God's grace. And remember, I've said before, my definition of hope, H-O-P-E, stands for having only positive expectations. Sure, there is suffering, but misery is optional. Here's the second lesson that we learn. Casual contact with Christ isn't the same thing as a desperate grasp of faith. Now, I want you to picture this scene. I was just in Magdal, the ruins of Magdal, a few months ago, and they have this very narrow streets. I mean, and you put a couple of hundred people there, and they're all just bunched in together, making their way down the street. You can just imagine it's like if you've ever been at a sporting event where there's a lot of people, and you, know, you just can hardly move. There's so many people. And so as Jesus is moving down these narrow streets, following Jairus to his house, suddenly this woman is on her hands and knees. And even though what she's doing is illegal because she's supposed to be crying out, unclean, 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 but she risks it all and she sneaks up and she reaches through and touches just the hem of the garment of Jesus. Now, most Jewish men wore a prayer shawl. 
And so it could have been she was just touching the very fringe of his prayer shawl. And then Jesus experienced power going out of him. He said, who touched me? And it's kind of interesting because I can imagine Peter, somebody said, what do you mean who touched you? Everybody's touching you. I'm touching you. Thomas is touching you. Everybody in the street, they're touching you right now. Jesus said, no, no, somebody really touched me because I felt power go out of me. And, and there's a lesson here. Today at Marberly Baptist Church, this doesn't include who's watching on live stream. There may be about 1,500 people that gather to worship. And some of you are just going to be part of the casual crowd. I mean, you may sort of brush up against Jesus with elbows of curiosity of, or hips of apathy. But there may be some of you today who, who are desperate right now. And you need a real touch of faith. I mean, you have a need in your life that is so real that you're reaching out in faith to Jesus. So many people just come to church Sunday after Sunday, and all they do is just sit and stand and sing the songs and read the Bible and say their prayers, but you don't really seek the Lord. You leave the same way you came in. You know, a lot of people seek the Lord half-heartedly. But the Bible says the key to having an encounter with Jesus is to seek him with your whole heart. Jeremiah 29, 13 says this, you will seek me and you will find me when you seek me with your heart, with your whole heart, it says. One of my great mentors and friends before he went to be to heaven was a guy by the name of Vance Havner. Uh, he's just a very slight, slim guy that didn't have a very strong voice, but his writings are often awesome. This is what he said about this situation with this woman. Vance Havner writes, mind you, this woman was shy and timid. She was not in the habit of elbowing her way through the crowds, but when you are desperate enough, you'll do anything to get through to God. Our Lord said, if any man thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Thirst is not casually wanting a drink of water. When we really thirst, water must be had, and we will drive through any obstacle to get it. Christians do not drink of the living water because there is no burning, feverish, consuming thirst after God. The situation is desperate, but the saints are not. So basically, there's maybe two kind of people here today. Some of you are seekers. Some of you are here to really seek the power of God, to seek to have a fresh encounter with God, and the rest of you are spectators. So in which category are you? Are you part of the casual crowd that gathers around Jesus like the crowd in that street? Or are you like this woman who reached out and said, Jesus, I desperately need to have your power? Or right, here's a third lesson that we learn about this miracle. There is a personal cost to Jesus in every spiritual transaction. I, there was years at, at, that I studied this uh, miracle before I came to understand this. There's an amazing thing that we read in verse 30. If you have your Bible open to verse 30 again, it says, At once Jesus realized that power, dunamis, same word in Acts chapter 1, Verse 8, where Jesus said, you shall receive power, dunamis, when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. The moment this woman touched the hem of his garment, Jesus felt power leaving his body. 
So there's like a, a, a spiritual transaction that has a personal cost to Jesus. Power went out of his body. Everybody else touching around him, elbowing him, shouldering, hitting with his hip. Nobody was receiving power, but this one touch of faith, Jesus felt power go out of him. So think about this. Every time Jesus healed a blind blind man, somehow there was power that went out of him. Every time Jesus uh, cast out a demon, there was like power that went out of him. Every time Jesus, like at the tomb of Lazarus, who'd been dead for four days, he said, Lazarus, come forth. There There was power that went out of Jesus for that miracle so now you can understand how how fatigued jesus must have been all the time we learned a couple of weeks ago he was so tired that he could sleep in the middle of a storm on a boat in the lake so think about that there's a spiritual transaction that receives power you know there was a great pastor a baptist pastor some of you old folks like my age and older will remember his name was herschel hobbs He, for many years, was the radio preacher for the Baptist Hour. And he said that he he had a doctor tell him that a pastor preaching a 30-minute sermon expends as much energy emotionally as a man working eight hours a day. And, And I believe that all of you that teach connect groups, any of you that teach and serve the Lord, you know it, it is draining on you, uh, I know I, I'm preaching three times every Sunday morning here at Moberly. That was easy when I was 49, but now that I'm 69, it's, it's a lot harder. It, it's, it's draining. It, it takes something out of you. But Jesus restores our strength and as we wait on him. In 1999, there was a movie called The Green Mile. Anybody remember seeing that movie? Yep. It was uh, starring uh, Tom Hanks. And it was the death row of a penitentiary in uh, Mississippi. And there was one big African-American guy played by Michael Clark. His name in the movie was John Coffey. And he was wrongly arrested for the murder of two girls. But he had this amazing ability in this fictional story. Uh, Tom Hanks had had like a bladder infection. He was really suffering from it. And John Coffey reached through the bars of the cell and somehow transferred that bladder infection from Tom Hanks into his body. And then Tom Hanks fell down and he was totally instantly healed. But John Coffey was so tired that he had to sit down on the bunk and then he breathed out and this ugly looking swarm of like dark insects kind of came out of his mouth. I want to tell you, when I first saw that, Believe it or not, I'm, o- I'm always thinking about Jesus. But I thought, you know what? That's what happened with Jesus. When Jesus healed somebody, he took their sin and their sorrow, and he made it his very own. But he didn't breathe it out in some weird uh, science fiction way. He took it all the way to the cross. He bore our sin, our sickness, our sorrow all the way to the cross. And that's why on the cross, there was a tremendous cost to Jesus Christ because he became sin for us. Think about everything that was placed upon Jesus there when he died. The Bible says in Isaiah 53, but he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed. Look at that word. 
for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him, and by his wounds we are healed. You see, Jesus experienced hell for us on the cross. What is hell? Hell is torment, and he he was tortured and experienced physical pain. Hell is outer darkness, and it got dark for three hours on the cross. And hell is separation from the Creator. And there was a time on the cross where Jesus said, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He experienced hell for us so that we don't have to. Thank God for the cost Jesus paid for our salvation. Jesus paid it all. All to him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain, but he washed it white as snow. One more lesson that we learn. Jesus asked us to openly confess him before others. Now, all right, here, put yourself back in this scene, okay? Crowded street, everybody's hustling and bustling. Woman crawls up and touches Jesus' hem of his garment. Then she probably crawls off to get out of the way. And Jesus said, hey, who touched me? Now, do you think he was asking for information that he didn't know? Absolutely not. He's omniscient. He knew who it was, and he knew what happened. He knew her name because God knows all of our names. So why was he asking that? Hey, who touched me? Because he wanted this woman to be able to have the opportunity to publicly confess that he was the one who had healed her. So finally, reluctantly, she stood up and said, well, here's the story. Twelve years, I've spent all my money on all these doctors. Nothing has worked, but I, I heard you were coming into town, Jesus, and that gave me hope. And I crawled up and I touched you, and I said, if I can just touch the hem of his garment, I think I will be healed. And, and that's what happened, Jesus. I touched you, and you, and you healed me. She, she made a confession of her faith, and I love what Jesus said to her. He said, daughter, <laughs> meaning you're in the family. Daughter, your faith has, and the word here is very uh, strict. It's you, your faith has saved you. It's the same word that's used in the Bible. Call upon the name of the Lord and you will be saved. Because not only was she healed of her disease that day, she was healed of her sin sickness. She became a child of God that day. And Jesus wanted her to tell the crowd that. And you know what? The Lord wants us to confess him before others as well. Matthew 10, 32 says this. Whoever acknowledges me before others, Jesus said, I will also acknowledge before my Father in heaven. But whoever disowns me before others, I will disown before my Father in heaven. Did you know that every time that you let somebody else know that you're a follower of Jesus Christ, that Jesus the Son turns to the Father and says, Hey, Father, he's one of mine. She's one of mine. I'm confessing him before you. I'm confessing her before you. Now, the first and the best way to confess your faith in Jesus is at your baptism. Uh, Because the Bible says, if you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. And from the earliest time in church history, it was at the public baptism where people confessed Jesus is Lord. And at the church I served in Tyler for so many years, before we would baptize somebody, I would introduce them, tell them a little bit about their their conversion, and then I would say, tell us, who is your Lord? And they would say, Jesus is my Lord. And then I would baptize them. 
You know, I've told you before, I've had the joy to go to Israel over 30 times. And we always baptize people there at the Jordan River. It's a cool place. Uh, it's not exactly the location where Jesus was baptized, but it's the same river for sure. It's the Jordan River. And a lot of people, they're baptized for the first time. It's their Christian baptism. For others, they just want to be baptized to like reconfirm their baptism because you can only really be baptized in water once that counts. But here's a cool thing I've always done. After we have, well, when somebody's baptized, you got a picture. This is, this is a very public area where lots of groups are there. And before somebody's baptized, I tell them, ask them to tell their name and tell that Jesus is Lord. So it's like, my name is David Dykes and Jesus is my Lord. And then we, we baptize them. And then when everybody in our group is baptized, I look around to all these people up there because a lot of them have rented the little baptism robes, but they don't have anybody to baptize them because they just showed up and they're not part of a group. I say, is there anybody here that you're not in our group, but you would like to confess this day that Jesus is your Lord? I want you to come down right now and I will baptize you. And every year, except for this past February, because hardly anybody was there, we were the first groups back. Every year, there's always people. One year, there were 12 people that came from different countries around the world. Good thing we had uh, a Spanish-speaking person there uh, to, to translate. And so that's where those people, for the very first time, confessed their faith in Jesus Christ. And what a joy it was to baptize them there. You know, this, this woman reached out, and she took hold of the power of Jesus Christ. And folks, we need that power in our lives. <laughs> I've always heard that Scottish people are, are, are rather frugal. Have you heard that? They, they will pinch a buffalo nickel till it screams, you know. But I heard about a, a guy in Scotland, and when they first put electricity in his house, the, the power company noticed that his power bill was just so small that they were wondering if there was a problem with the power meter. So they sent a technician out there and said, you're, you know, you're, you're, you're using so little electricity, is there a problem? He says, no. He said, I just only turn on the lights every night long enough to light the candles, then I turn the lights off. That's like a lot of Christians. We're missing out on that supernatural power of Jesus Christ. Are, are, are you going to reach out today? Say, Lord, this is my need. I, I'm desperate, Lord. I'm desperate. I need your power. I need this in my life right now. And I believe you're the only source to supply that power. There's a pastor I know named Ken Geyer who has written a prayer that relates to this miracle. And so I want this to be our final prayer. So if you would, bow your head with me and see if you will uh, agree with me on this prayer. God, I know that only those who suffer greatly reach out to grasp you. People who have nothing to offer but the faith that you can make them whole. I confess, Lord, how often I have followed in the crowd, pressed around you, and how few times have those brushes with you changed my life. I have touched you, but only in the rush hour of religious activity. Sunday after Sunday, I take my part in the crowd. As I sit through the service, I sing the hymns and hear the sermon. I read my Bible, say my prayers, give my money. How can I be so close to your presence, yet so far from your power? Could it be that my arms are folded? 
Could it be that my hands are full? I pray that if my arms are complacent, you will unfold them in outstretched longing for you. And if my hands are full, I pray that you would empty them so that I might cling only to you. Will you make that prayer your own? In Jesus' name we pray. And if there's anyone here or watching on live stream and you need to receive Jesus as your Lord, you can pray a prayer like this. Dear God, I admit to you that I am a sinner. I'll never be good enough to earn heaven. I'm sorry for my sin. Thank you, God, for sending Jesus to die on the cross. Thank you, Jesus, for taking my place on the cross. Thank you for experiencing hell so that I don't have to. Right now, Jesus, I give you control of my life. Be the Lord of my life, and I will live for you forever. Thank you for coming into my life, and I ask this in Jesus' name.